hello, gentlemen. Well, hello. Hello there. Whoa, who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> we got an extra voice on the line today, and it is Brian Castle. How's it going, dude? Going good. Yeah, good to uh, good to see and, and hear you guys again. <laughs> yeah, likewise. This is like the art of bootstraps product web. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yep, yep. It's an unholy merging of our podcasts. I've been telling all of my, uh, you know, founder friends, you know, the at the microcomps and the and the meetups that we all do, there needs to be more of these podcasts. You know, mm. two bootstrappers just talking about what you're working on week to week. Like it will be so boring and uninteresting to most of the world, but to our circles, <laughs> these this is great. Like I love tuning into this stuff. Yeah, likewise, your guys' show was definitely one of the inspirations for when we were kind of thinking about format and the kind of like the format we fell into on Giant Robots before Art of Product came to be. I find myself drawn to the kind of the updates parts of shows, even ones like like Rob and Mike's podcasts that are not fully updates. Like that's my favorite part of the show. So, you know, thanks to you guys too for helping like pioneer this format. And I agree. I think there needs to be more. <laughs> You can call it pioneering, uh, but we <laughs> we started by trying to have a topic and try to make it quote unquote useful to people, <laughs> and then we and then we kind of just got lazy with that. We we're just like, you know, we don't want to spend any time planning. We don't want to spend any time like researching or prepping. We just want to get on the mic and talk, and and uh, we kind of just kept doing that. <laughs> but you're right. I like I like to tune into the, the personal updates on, on other shows, you know, Rob and Mike, I listen to Craig and Dave and a couple other people, you know. So Brian, this is actually kind of dovetails in with our last episode where I talked about NanoConf, that thing I put on on Martha's Vineyard. Uh, you were one of the attendees and I thought maybe just I'd quickly get your impression as an attendee, like how that was and what you thought about it. Yeah. I mean, I told you when we were there, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. It'd be great if you'd have me back because <laughs> I'll, I'll go back <laughs> for sure. I mean, um, I love these small conferences. I'm all about them now. I can't get enough of them. And my buddy Brad Tunar and I started Big Snow Tiny Conf. Man, it must have been like five or six years ago now. We go every winter up to Vermont. And then our other friend, Dave Rodemog, that kind of took that out to Colorado too. So I attend both of those. I'm, I'm going to again January and February. And actually, next week, for the first time, I'm heading out to Cabo Press in, uh, in Cabo, Mexico. I can't wait for that. Um, it's a little bit bigger. That's like 30 people. I guess it's like WordPress-based, and I <laughs> maybe just barely qualify for that. But um, mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing I like about these things, and the reason I wanted to try my hand at it, is I feel like you get a lot more... Like you just have so much more time with people. You can really build relations with people and like go deep and talk about things over like the course of several days as opposed to like a pretty like light interaction at a, a normal size conference. Is that also what you dig about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the great thing for me is that a lot of the people that, that have been going to these come back every year. So I have David and Chad have been going to Vermont like for the last five or six years. So we know each other well and, and we're getting... A deep update, but it's also like we've seen our businesses progress a lot over the last few years. So it's it's been pretty cool. Um, and Ted Pitts, it was kind of cool because like David and Ted met for the first time and Chad met Ted. But like I had been hanging out with Ted in Colorado every year for the last couple of years. And like it's it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was one of the, the best things for me was like a chance to introduce my friends to each other. Like I love that in, in basically any context. It's like I know some cool people and I'm going to introduce cool people to cool people. And it's just it's going to be great. Yeah. And I love MicroConf too. But that that 
to me seems more like a like the big blowout celebration kind of thing. <laughs> you get to see everyone in all in one shot. But but you're right, you don't get a lot of like I always come away with microconf now thinking like, oh, I didn't get a chance to talk to all these people that I wanted to talk to. You know? Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. I would say the only downside of these things is or of, of the smaller ones is that I, I can't it went really well this year, but I can't like invite five times as many people and have it have the same feel where it's like that was great i want more people to experience this but it's sort of it's this basically depends on other people also picking up the torch and being like all right i'm gonna have my own eight person retreat or ten person whatever yeah yeah kind of think of it like the venn diagram like as long as they kind of partially overlap you're kind of extending this network but you know still keeping them small yeah it is a that like eight to ten twelve people is a good good size Mm-hmm. I guess I'm implicitly uh, trying to get other people to do this. I'm thinking about actually writing a post about just how the, I manage the logistics because there honestly weren't that many. It was it was pretty straightforward, but I would I would love to see more people do this. So maybe having some notes on just how it's actually not so hard would be useful. It's really pretty easy, and and it's so affordable. <laughs> I mean, when you get a group in an Airbnb, I mean. It cost us for for Martha's Vineyard. It was like what, like three hundred bucks, something like that. Like yeah, it was under three hundred for like per person for the Airbnb part. Yeah, and the ski and snowboard stuff that we do is like six hundred bucks, six seven hundred bucks, and for like two days of like lift tickets included, you know, Airbnb included, food. It's it's a really good, you know, good deal. All right. Well, we have how to do that. Make more comps in the world. <laughs> I'm for it. So let's start uh, some updates. Just I can actually get started. Uh, I just shipped a thing just now. It's not fully shipped, but it's, it's, it's in the world now. It's on the internet. So I've been working on this pair programming guide uh, for the last uh, week or two, and it is up now. It's at tuple.app slash pair dash programming dash guide. There's a few posts on there, and it's finally out in the world, and I'm excited to start like promoting it and adding way more to it. I'm just taking a look at it right now on the air. So we talked about this last time, how you were going to try your hand at designing. So how yep. did that go? Did you do most of the design work on this? Um, I did. So I got it to a point where I basically liked it. And then I actually did a call with Adam and was like, hey, man, like, can you just help me with this a little bit? And so we we did about an hour together where he made some tweaks and also helped me with some CSS stuff and some Tailwind stuff. And we actually recorded that and put it out on Adam's YouTube channel. So you can actually watch that session. But uh, we didn't make any huge changes. I was like pretty happy with uh, where the design ended up. I'm, I'm like psyched to have like the first thing that I designed be on the internet. It's pretty exciting. I heard you talking about uh, design and CSS. <laughs> I was listening to your episode actually this morning. You know, if you ever need an opinion on like, a, you know, from a designer CSS person, that's that's been me for the last like 10 years. And I actually just did that for my friend Craig the other day. He had a landing page that he put together or like I guess his designer did. I did a Loom video for him. I, I just love to do that kind of stuff. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely take advantage of that. Because that's where I feel more comfortable is the is CSS and making things look right and and come across right for a marketing page or whatever um, or a web app. But I'm going to need to pick your guys' brains probably on like Rails stuff and JavaScript and that's where I'm a hack. So <laughs> Totally. I'm happy to, to trade that kind of knowledge back and forth. It's useful for everyone. So yeah, so that's out there. And like, that's just sort of like, probably going to be rough, more or less the top of funnel for like the tuple world. I don't know exactly where it's going to fall. But the, the, the gist, of course, is build the audience, like start establishing some expertise, start getting a group of people together that care about this stuff. Uh, and maybe one day offer them a tool. But it's interesting flipping into like marketing mode, uh, writing mode, design mode, like I, I hadn't been in the zone for a long time. 
so deeply as when I was like working on the design like all day or like writing all day. And it's it's interesting to feel my brain, those parts of my brain kind of clicking back into gear. It's uh, very different than what I had been doing. It's tough. It It's yeah. really helpful when you're focused on one thing and you have one role. But I mean, for so many of us, are we're doing everything, you know, even when you have partners. I mean, you're lucky that you have partners. But even so, like when you're in startup mode, there are so many different things that need to happen all at the same time. Marketing work, whether it's writing or whatever else you might do with marketing, like putting together funnels or emails or thinking about ads or like all that kind of work is so different from building product and designing product. Like it's such a different part of your brain and and like set of actions that you need to do. It, it is really tough to flip between the two. Yeah, the, the writing in particular felt like it took me a long time to, for that to kind of come back up. And I still don't feel like I'm back. I don't think I'm at full goodness yet. One of the posts on there is the case for pair programming, where I'm trying to make an argument for why it's worth doing. And the version that finally made it up there is like version three. I threw away several entire drafts that I just like hated. I wrote all this stuff that I just had to nuke. It's like it's it's taken a while for me to get there. That might just be part of the, the creative process. That might just be how it's always going to be. But that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I've I've found I've done the same thing writing authoring blog posts or whatever. Like sometimes sometimes it just feels like a slog and I'm like making 10% of the progress that I could at other times be making and like I'll come back and read it. Sometimes just scrap it entirely and then in the span of 5 minutes have like, you know, five paragraphs written that's like way better than what I spent 2 hours on the previous day. It's kind of it's funny how that happens and you don't I mean you encounter like roadblocks in programming too, but they're usually different. Usually you can overcome them by you know, either looking at Stack Overflow or something or or just switching gears and coming back to it. But with writing, it's harder to you can't really hide behind anything. You know, So true. Yeah. The, the thing I noticed myself doing, I'd say the one maybe one downside of, of having done this design myself is I'll start writing and I'll get blocked. And I'll be like, I should really fix that little sidebar. <laughs> and then I'm just like, now nah, yeah. I'm off in CSS mode. And I just keep getting distracted by these little visual things because I want to be distracted because the writing is going poorly. Right. Yeah. Happens to me yep. all the time. My big challenge with writing is always like i tend to overthink it and then i start to write way too much and it's just a, a like a the post is just way too long and i need to boil it down and then even like it's almost like once you write too much it's even harder to to pare it down i i, I wish i just started with a simpler idea you know and it's definitely and sometimes you do sometimes it just flows right out and you and you can write it in 20 minutes other times i spend like half a day and then i end up trashing it anyway you know Mm -hmm. there's this phrase i like around writing i don't know who said it but the advice is kill your darlings so it's like even if you have something you wrote that you really like like a little turn of phrase or a paragraph or whatever like sometimes you have to nuke it to make the thing actually good and i was struggling with that big time on this thing i was trying to write and so i actually at one point just said all right how do i write this post if it were just three sentences long and so i wrote three sentences it's like okay now what would i do if i made it three paragraphs and then I made them three paragraphs. It's like, okay, what if I had three longer sections? And that is actually how I ended up. My final post actually is that. It's like the argument for pair programming in three sentences, three paragraphs, three sections. And I don't know if that's a good like writing technique. Or like, I don't know if it works for the whole post, but just that like forcing myself to bring it into a little small version really helps clarify my thoughts. Yeah, I've heard Jason Fried talk about, he's talked a few times about how he, he wants to teach a class on writing. And and the whole class would be like, like, like the first assignment would be write three pages. And then the second assignment is like pare that down to one page and then down to one paragraph and then one line, you know, and that's the whole class is just editing it, editing it down. 
Mm-hmm. Actually, speaking yeah. of Jason Fried, too, I remember he did this was like a few months back. He like live wrote an ink. He writes for Ink Magazine, I think. And he like authored it on a screencast and like talked through his writing process. That was pretty interesting to watch. Um, I kind of skipped through different parts, but it's cool to see someone who's such a good copywriter crafting their sentences and they'll, they'll write stuff just like the rest of us that sounds, you know, poorly worded or just sounds awkward. But just to see him iterate through it and go back and clean stuff up was kind of just interesting to have a fly on the wall view of that. That's amazing. I mean, I'm trying to work in public more, but I would never yeah. do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you'd yeah. see a video of like me staring at the screen for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is becoming more and more of a thing. Like I see more and more people live streaming their coding sessions and, and whatnot. And like Adam did ours, but we, we recorded it, but we didn't st- live stream it. I agree. The writing, I was like, I just don't think this is going to be good television. But who knows? People watch things that, that surprise me. So maybe I maybe I should try it anyway. Right. I've struggled with that too. I mean, because I did some screencasts early on and I've lost momentum on that just because I find myself getting in my head about it. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to like bumble through this too much. I want there to be some cohesiveness to this. And so I end up like, that's just enough of a roadblock for me not to do it. But I should probably try to do it more often just because I think people... I've gotten good feedback from every time I've done one, you know. There's there's been several things over the last couple of years where where I have this idea to to build some sort of product or or some sort of piece to put out on the web somewhere and and then I always have like the secondary ideas like, oh, I should document the making of this and release that. And then I and then I try and then it's just way too much work and it's not any good and I just trash it, you know. So. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. Like we we all like these. How did your week go? What are you working on? Podcasts, but we're all also hesitant to just share the work in progress stuff as we're doing it. But like, I think the lesson there might be like there are people like to see like the sausage getting made. They like to watch you struggle. Possibly, maybe not all of them, but there's probably some audience. I find myself much to my own surprise, like watching videos on YouTube of people playing video games that I think are interesting. Like I'm not even playing the video game anymore. I'm watching someone play it who's really good. And I'm like, this is this is about as good to me or better than playing it myself. I think people's perception around this or like the reality is kind of just changing where it's like there's an interesting kind of like almost voyeuristic thing, enjoyment to it. I don't know quite what it is, but it's it can work in a surprising way. If you have the time or if you want to put put effort into it, I, I, there's definitely value in, especially in video, putting putting out a video of somebody creating something from from start to finish. But it doesn't necessarily have to be like the live real version you could like rehearse it a couple of times or, or make it better so that it is consumable. Like I, this year I've been learning to code. I've been learning rails for the first time this year. Uh, Mackenzie child has a really popular YouTube channel and he, he's actually like a designer illustrator, but there was a time where he, he was learning rails too. And the way that he was learning it was he had this thing where he built like 12 simple apps in 12 weeks or something like that. He would build the app and figure out how to do it as he builds it first then he builds it again, starts from scratch, builds it again, just taking notes. And then he builds it a third time recording the screencast. So, so when he does the screencast, it's really fast and crisp and he goes in the, in the right order. And I've been watching some of those as part of my learning process and it's been huge, you know, mm. um, really helpful. Interesting. That makes sense. I used to give a talk on refactoring where I would do live coding, but the live coding was 100% extremely rehearsed by that point. It wasn't me just improving and getting stuck. It was like, I know exactly what I'm going to do at every every moment. 
even when I'm watching these people like streaming online, like video games, like the downtime is, is not doesn't add anything. It's like, it'd be cool if you just edited this part out. I don't need to see all of these little details. There's a middle ground in there somewhere. I think like for beginners, if you're trying to learn something, it really helps to see like, well, how do, how do people, like how do professionals do it? Because there's the courses and the books teach you the mechanics and the theory but I, I'm always kind of struggling, at least this year, I've been struggling with like, all right, I kind of get it. I get what the Rails guides are telling me, but how is it really done by real developers in practice? You know, There's all these little shortcuts we take in our day-to-day when we're, when we're doing stuff. And I remember I'm like decent at Sketch, but not by any means like a professional designer in it, you know? But I remember when I was working with Steve on some of the level logo stuff and we would get on a call and he would just like share a screen and do some like tweaks in real time. And I would just watch him like the way he adjusted pixels on things without just grabbing the mouse and dragging something, but like using very little shortcuts like that and, and, and color schemes and palettes. And like just the way he moved around the app was such a good thing for me to observe. And I picked up like a bunch of little tips from that where like, if I had gotten a guide to using sketch, it would probably be like a 400 page book and, you know, take a long time to pick up on those little like shortcuts and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, there's so much value in those like workflow things. And I think like the way they're presented makes such a huge difference. Like you said, like a book of like sketch tips versus like you knew what Steve wanted to accomplish and you knew how you would try to do it. And then you watched him do it a better way. And like that will stick out in your mind and stay there for so much longer, I think, than a random tip on a a page. Okay, let's all work more in public, record (laughs) more videos, teach more things. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's something I'm definitely trying to do this year I'm launching Process Kit and I, I really like this idea of like community-based marketing, especially around a launch, but I want it to continue after. I built an, an early access list with my audience, but I write off of that as they get into that and they fill out a survey, then they're immediately invited into a Facebook group and a Slack group. I, I have both because people always love one and they hate the other. So I just offered both, you know. And so since I started that about a month ago, I've been showing the designs for for this software that I'm putting together. And and sometimes I'm I'm doing videos of like walking through the sketch files. Sometimes I'm just th- throwing screenshots and writing. It's been really good because it I feel an obligation, just like a blog post or just like having a blog that you want to post to regularly, having this community of people who've entered their email address, they're interested. I need to get something to them every week. Just even if it's just a partial screenshot, like I need to post something to to this community to show some sort of progress. And maybe it could be a little bit more raw than what I'm posting. I'm, I'm posting mostly like finished concepts, but I guess it just forces me to show something. And then and I am getting a lot of good and, and helpful feedback um, through these channels. So it's it, it's really helpful, you know? And I, I didn't do enough of that in my previous products that um, I would get like some initial validation and conversations and stuff. And then I'd go on a hole for like eight months and not have feedback and at least now i'm I'm getting a a lot more feedback loop involved and i think it helps i'm kind of curious what the dynamic is in those uh different groups are like people talking to each other about stuff related to what you're working on or is it mostly people kind of interfacing with you as you post updates uh well it's still pretty new there's a few hundred people in both the slack and and facebook but it only launched about a month ago. And so most of the interaction is, is, is people reacting to the stuff that I post. I'll post a screenshot or a video. I get a bunch of comments on it, but then a lot of people play off those comments. Like, yeah, what, what she said about that, you know, that's true. Plus this, 
I think it really helps for people to see each other's comments, you know, because a lot of us do do customer development where you talk one-on-one and I did a lot of that too. It gets multiplied when, I mean, literally multiplied when you're, when you have groups of people that, that you start to see a consensus come around a, a feature request or something like that. Um, yeah. You're making me think now, like, what if I, like, once the product's ready to do that, started up a level space and invited started inviting yeah, there you go. <laughs> people into it because you could you could effectively use level as a replacement for a facebook group i think because it's going to function it's going to have a lot of the similar constructs of like you have you can have subgroup well i don't know if you can do subgroups within a facebook group but you know i could have effectively what maps to channels in slack you could have subgroups in level and that are around various topics and and then you have kind of the, the reverse chrono timeline of posts and replies so that could be an interesting forum to share stuff to kind of an invite only uh, group and start to foster some of that communication and also kind of dog food the product at the same time. Yeah. And kind of market the product. It's like, right. You know, right. Uh, I like As it. people are using it, they're starting to like really like the tool and get intrigued by it. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. I think between Slack and Facebook, I, I have a Facebook group and Slack is roughly equal number of people in, in each right now. Um, I think the Slack people are a little bit more chatty than the fa- Facebook. They tend to just see whatever post I do and, and either like it or put a comment reply on that. But in Slack, there's a little bit more chatter going on, which is expected, I guess. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, you're making me feel like I should do this too. We have an alpha group of users and I've been sending them some stuff, but I believe in the power of feedback. You know, it's, it, it's not just feedback. I, I've been thinking a lot about this this year, um, this idea of like community marketing. I've heard uh, the guys from Drift talking about this a lot, David Cancel and everything. And, and I think that it, so obviously content marketing has been around for a long time and that's still very prevalent. And SaaS tools are so competitive. Everybody can can compete on features. As soon as you build a feature, your your 10 other competitors can easily go fire up the same feature. So you can't really compete on features anymore. And you can't really compete on price. It doesn't make sense to undercut the pricing of your your competitors. But what you can compete on is community. We trust a certain brand or or we're in a, I hate these like buzz terms, but like we're in this tribe of of people, you know, who, who are all talking about business. They all have the same goals. They're all trying to move toward the same direction. And and you bring those people together. I I think there's real power in that. So the that's a way that that like small guys like us can can actually start to compete against these huge, you know, organizations that that can put a lot of dollars behind ads where we can throw up a free Facebook group or Slack group or level group and and you know do it ourselves. Sort of like guerrilla branding or something, you know, where it's like normally branding has been sort of a topic where you think of larger quote unquote brands that build up equity through billboards and TV commercials. And I used to always think of branding as something that only large companies would think about and smaller companies have to resort to, you know, whether it's uh, inbound marketing or running ads on Facebook or something like that to, to build interest. But I think there's this other this other way that David Cancel has been talking about and that a lot of us are starting to realize. And it really just comes down to fundamentally building trust with a group of people and that builds referrals. And then one person referring a product to another person is far more powerful than them seeing your Facebook ad. So it just sort of intuitively makes sense that this is like something we should be investing in. I, th- I think it's kind of like the logical next step 
to building an email list. You know, I, I have this this list of, of people in my audience and I send them emails all the time. Um, but it, that's one to many and they're not connecting with each other. And they, and these people all have so much in common with each other it, that it makes sense to give them that that option of, of getting into a group together. And, and that it just makes people talk more about your your product and, you know, all of it. It's interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how this works out in the long term, because I've been, I've tried to run communities in the past or like create communities. And it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. Like it's easy to get a bunch of people in a Facebook group or a Slack thing, but to actually make it a community where it takes off and has its own legs. And like, it's not just you still doing one to many, but in a different format is definitely tricky. It's, it's tough. I, I'm not good at it either. I, and I'm not like I'm in a bunch of other communities and I'm not active in them. I, I'm one, I'm a lurker. There are a few people that I that I know and that I watch who do this so well. I, I mean, Brennan Dunn has has like Facebook groups around all of his products, and he's in there all the time just posting stuff. There are plenty of other folks who are just doing this really well, and it's like it it seems like it's kind of like a waste of time. You should be going and, and working on other things rather than like chatting on Facebook. But it's this is like a marketing channel now, so it's like. Hmm. you know and it, it does make sense to me like if you can give your biggest fans a place to come get even more access to you and talk to your other fans that sounds great that sounds like it's going to work it's going to require a lot from you it probably won't just become this this self-sustaining entity it'll always be kind of like the brian show to some extent and you'll need to be giving it a lot of gas for a while and the, you know you see a lot of the the kind of the cheesy tactics of like hey every tuesday post your favorite thing about whatever like but i think you can just post like behind the scenes something that you're working on you know something that you're thinking through and and what do you guys think about this idea or or have them like vote on something like hey we're thinking about option a or option b which one do you like better you know mm -hmm. adam wathen tweeted something about this the other day which, which was just like someone asked him like what do you what's what should my social media strategy be for my business and he was like, I don't really think that makes sense of like, I don't think you should think about it like that. I think you should think about it like people are generally interested in connecting in authentic ways with people that are making stuff and they want to see what you're making and, and how, you're like, how you're doing. And so if you can give them that, then they'll tend to be interested in it. And you can do it through a bunch of different ways, but just that's, that's generally what people are interested in. Exactly. People still buy from people. And the, totally. You know. Yeah. And, and I agree. That's like, let's leverage that fact that like, I'm like, we're not slack. No one's going to have that community feel for Slack at the organization. But if it's like, yeah, I want to support Derek and try out his thing and give him feedback, that that totally works. So Brian, you, you're in an interesting situation right now because you're building this SaaS app and you've worked in the past with uh, hiring other developers. This time you're going at it for real. Yeah. So uh, well, not for real, <laughs> but you're, you're coding yourself, I should say. Yeah. Not well, too. now now I am. I've been... I've been kicking this around a little bit for the last couple of weeks of like how I should get this this new SaaS product built, both short term like an MVP and also like long term like I'm I'm starting a a software product. I I need some software expertise in in the company here. So so yeah, like, like you said in the past, I have outsourced the back end development. I've always done the front end stuff. I've, I've always been a HTML CSS guy and a little bit of a hack with with JavaScript. But I could never like hand code backend, whether it's PHP or Rails or any, anything database related. So this year I started to, I spent the first like half of this year, still even today, is trying to learn Ruby on Rails. 
And I think I've come a long way with that in just the last couple of months. I could I could build I like simple, very simple apps, but I'm extremely slow. I'm in Stack Overflow a thousand times a day. You know, it's but it's fun. You know, I've I've actually been able to, and it's it's been fun to kind of shift out of like founder, marketer, builder, like move fast to into like a for a while, just take it slow and learn. Go through some courses, some books, some practice projects and. And that's been kind of fun this year. So I've been do doing a lot of practice projects with Rails. Now I'm ready to start this real product. And and it's not a simple product. It's it's pretty complex. I was talking to one guy about potentially partnering as like a technical co-founder kind of situation. And the, we talked for a couple of weeks. He he's actually my coach for for Rails coding. And and we um and I still meet with him weekly on uh, to talk. Rails code and, and I'm learning a lot from him. For whatever reason, our, our talks ended up like he doesn't really want to commit to this sort of partnership. He wants to focus on his current business and 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 whatnot. Totally understandable. And I talked to a few other people in my audience, but not as didn't get as far down the road with that. But I I did like the idea of hey maybe I should find a technical co-founder for this, and I'm still very much open to that idea. I kind of expect that at some point I will bring in some sort of uh, CTO type person to to work with me on on this product or or at least this software company that I'm building now. The question is who is available for that and who is the right fit for that. And it's that is a really really difficult criteria to find because it is not like just hiring a develop like I don't have the funds to go hire a developer at market rate in in the United States or or even around the world. I mean, I spent a lot of money, you know, outsourcing overseas, Eastern Europe for over a year on the last attempt at this sort of product. And I'm not looking to just outsource and, and pay some cash for like a short-term project. I'm, I'm more interested in having like a long-term sort of partner. But the problem with that as a self-funded startup is the only type of person in, in a situation that really works for that is like, Somebody who's a really experienced and has the the credibility, the the chops to be that level of a developer, like they're not a beginner, right? You need someone high level, and B, you need someone who is probably coming off some sort of exit, like they've sold a business, they have some savings, and they have a lot of time to devote to a startup, because there there are plenty of high level experienced developers in our industry, but most of them are employed or most of them are doing consulting full time, and that that butts up against the idea of, of investing your time with little or no salary for a while into a self-funded startup. You know, it's a really tough situation. So you see people like, um, like Justin Jackson and John and where John is, you know, the technical co-founder, but also fully employed. So for him, it's a nights and weekends kinds of project. And, you know, it just, you know, all the, all the cons that come with that mostly being the pace of development, um, is much slower, right? Yeah, I mean, and I I've worked with people here and there who have full-time jobs, even remote jobs, and it is for for me as like the founder/product design person, it's like ugh, I I just want to ship 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 like you know, it's so frustrating when you have to wait for that. And and like even outsourcing overseas, Eastern Europe, like the time zones are different, so it's like I've got a couple hours in the morning with them and then I give them some things and then I got to wait 24 hours and even then it's not right. Got to wait another 24 hours. It's so frustrating 
So I'm kind of interested now in, and I'm excited about building it myself. I think I'm capable of doing it. The challenge is that I personally will be very slow because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and and so every little feature, I have to spend all this extra time to like figure it out and get it wrong and Google it and stack overflow. But at least I can push as much as I want to. And as like, not that I work extra hours these days, I've got a family and everything, but like I do have time on my hands. I, I, my other business basically pays my bills and doesn't require my time. So I can just devote all day to to working on this. And the other the other things that I'm doing to combat that like risk of, oh, it'll take me too long to build it myself is, A, I have a weekly coach, like 90 minutes with a Rails expert to help me work through some some challenges. And and even with him in between our sessions, I, I have some email questions for him, which, which help a lot. And I do plan to probably outsource small pieces of the coding to to someone. I have worked with other developers and, and me being in the code now, I think will help with that. I think between me learning it and building it myself and having a coach and outsourcing the pieces that that can help move faster, I think I can hopefully get through at least a version one. And then, you know, down the road, if a, if a co-founder or someone joins me, you know, they'll probably come in and rebuild the whole thing and that's fine, but at least this will get the product to market. So just something on that quickly, which is that to everyone who's listening, I've known Brian for a long time and he would be an awesome co-founder. It's like, if you are that technical person who's like, yeah, I have some runway, I could possibly go look at an opportunity like this. Uh, he's got the marketing chops and the front end chops and is a good person. So if if that appeals to you, you should probably reach out to Brian uh, or maybe you wait and reach out later or I don't know, but I give you my endorsement. I think that would be, you're, you're a good dude. <laughs> I appreciate that, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Beside that point, I was very psyched to hear that you were choosing to at least try to get like this MVP together yourself. And I think I said in an email to you, like programming is a superpower. So the, cer- the sooner you start acquiring it, the better. Like today, you're super focused on process kit and that's all you're thinking about. But life can often be long. Like you don't know what's going to be happening 15 years from now. It might be really nice to know programming for the next 15 years. Totally. C- couldn't agree more. And that's that's exactly why I... Uh, earlier this year, I decided to like it's it's time it's actually over past due for me to start to actually be able to build. I, I wrote a post on my blog uh, called "Full Stack Product Person." There are folks in our industry who who have that full stack. They can they can design fairly well. They they understand product. They have some sort of connection to an audience, and they know how to research that audience and find problems to solve. They they really get that. And and they can go build and launch a software product like at will. It it maybe it's not the most flawless code base, but they can launch something. And and for me, I I check most of those boxes up until the point where it's like, oh, I need to code something and and get it on a server somewhere. Like that's a wall that I hit e- either from a lack of skill or a lack of cash. You know, at, at times, and it's it's uh it's it's really frustrating. You know, so I, so this year I'm trying to break through that at least to a point where I could ship MVPs at will. Yeah. Totally. It reminds me a bit of the collapsing of roles that I feel like I'm seeing on the front end side of things, where I think like five or six years ago, or maybe maybe even less than that, if you were a designer, if you were a web designer that couldn't do HTML and CSS, that was maybe okay. We were just like, oh, I, I give you these mockups and then someone else slices them and turns them in. And now it's like, that's not a web designer anymore like to me that's totally table stakes like if you can't turn your design into a web thing you're not a web designer 
I feel like that's starting to become maybe table stakes on product stuff. It's like, oh, I want to create a software business. It's like, okay, well, can you write software? No, no, I'm going to like design the software and then someone else is going to like, no, 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 no. That's not, I mean, there are people that just don't need that anymore and they're going to run laps around you. Yeah. And I've been an HTML, CSS person forever. Like that was my career before I went self-employed. And, and now that's not nearly enough. Like if you're a front end person, like you need to know JavaScript and you need to, uh, you don't necessarily need to like adapt all the fancy trendy frameworks. I don't, I don't think, but but those are there and, and you should understand what they are and, and how they work, you know? Yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm psyched to see you doing this. Like just adding another like orthogonal skill to your, and such a powerful one. I think it just, if, if you're going to be someone that wants to make software businesses in the future, it just, it's, I, I think you can't beat this idea. I feel like this could be a trend. Like I'm starting to see more and more people talking about or non-technical founder types getting more and more interested in in learning some more programming. And I think it's really exciting because I think it's a lot more approachable than maybe it appears from the outside like programming just looks like such as a black box of like complexity and and there is a lot there is a lot of move are a lot of moving pieces to to learn about but you know i think frameworks like rails kind of make that experience relatively nice compared to how things were five to ten years ago i'm curious to hear how how has your experience been has it been harder or easier than you envisioned uh that's a good question i think it's <laughs> I think at times it's like, oh man, this is so easy. I just built something. That's awesome. And then there are plenty of those times where I'm where I'm just slamming my head into my desk for a week. I can't, you know, like it's just like you make so much progress on some features and then you just everything you're Googling is not giving you the answer. And it and you and it's like you come to a screeching halt. And it's it's fun and it's frustrating. I will say, so early on in this process of learning. I, I thought I was going to go with PHP and Laravel instead of Rails. And I looked at some other things too, but I started down the path of Laravel. I went through some Laracasts and, and those were pretty helpful. And I was able to basically re recreate what Jeffrey Way was putting out there on, on the videos. But when it came to, okay, take what you've learned and now go build your own thing, I couldn't do it. I don't know why that was. It kind of baffled me because it's like I totally understood the lesson but I can't go do it myself for some reason. And I think my impression of that, of, of like PHP and, and well, Laravel specifically is that it's designed and it's taught to PHP programmers. If you come from a background in PHP, Laravel makes it easy, but I didn't, you know? And so that didn't really help much. But so then I switched to, to Rails and within 30 days of going through a couple of courses and, and tutorials and things, I was up and running, like I was building things. They're really simple, but they were functional. They were operating web apps, you know, and and that was really exciting. And so and so since then I've been um, running with Rails and, and also the thinking, I mean, it's 2018. I know that Rails is kind of, you know, becoming like out of fashion these days, but that was intentional for me. I wanted to go with something that is now, I guess, old and, and mature and has a huge community, has a lot of teaching materials around it. I'm not trying to learn the, the the most cutting edge thing that will probably change a thousand times in the next year. You know, I'm I'm trying to go with the tried and true. I think one of the other things that has changed recently is that there is much there's so much teaching infrastructure for this. Boot camps are now there's like now a huge industry of businesses that will teach you to become a web developer as fast as possible and in not that long. Until I got into it this year, I didn't realize how many teaching products and 
and communities there and like memberships and stuff that there are. It's it's amazing. And I and I bought a lot of them. <laughs> like they are good products, you know. Yeah. I think programming is probably about as hard to learn as it always has been. I don't think programming is easier today. Like Rails probably makes some things easier, but it's still very complicated to build a web app. But I think just the amount of learning materials you can get now is like way better than it used to be. So if if you're a founder out there and you're trying to do this, you, you definitely obviously need some sort of formal training, whether it's a course or I, I learn best with like video-based courses. I'm not a big fan of of coding books. I bought a couple, but I just can't really follow along that way. I, I like the video-based courses. But it if you're a startup person, it really helps to have friends and contacts who you can go to and get advice or or even get a, like a formal coaching arrangement. That's been huge for me. So I've been doing the coaching. But another thing that I that I have done is I go to friends who have who are like Rails developers who who have like a Rails based product. And I was like, can can I can you just show me your your code base? Can I just look at it? And I did that the other day with my friend's code. After having learned all this all, all these like formal training Rails stuff, I looked at his code. I was like, whoa, <laughs> because it's like what I'm building. What I was looking at there was like the Empire State Building, and what I'm building here is like a shack in my backyard, basically. You know, <laughs> like um, I was like, "Oh wow!" So it gets way more complicated than what I was look- learning in the in the course, you know. <laughs> but it's kind of cool because you could start to see like this is like uh, the routes page times ten, and this is th- this is how models look when it's all built out in a real in a production web app, you know. And if you have friends who who are doing this, and you can go to and just look at their code, ask them questions. What's your go to gem for this or and that, and like stuff like that. Like it really really helps. Yeah, I think it's really smart that you hired a coach. Really really helpful. Yeah, I like that, and I like that you're diving in pretty quickly and like you built your you built a to-do list app right i see you put something out there like that and the nice thing about doing that early on and just committing code and not staying in purely theoretical learning land for too long is that you get to kind of build up like once you've done something once then you can copy from yourself i saw a tweet i can't remember who it was from but they were like you know basically having a large code base means that almost every problem is kind of already solved and you get to just rip it off from yourself and Every code base I dive into, and I've been learning a you know new framework with level. So I was sort of back to to first principles and at least learning the the framework constructs. And I found like as I've built more things, it just gets easier to keep adding on because I can just say, oh yeah, I already did something like that, and just pop open that file and start from there. Exactly. So. I've I've done a handful of, of like practice projects already, and I'm totally doing that. Like, and and I've done that for years with front end stuff. Is is just like yeah, you've done it before. Grab that code. Yeah, I'm finding myself needing to wanting to build that like as I'm learning CSS for real for the first time, where it's just like, oh yeah, I, I finally figured out how this thing works. Let me build a little example. Like I want an example library of things I finally figured out or finally understand, where it's like, okay, I think I kind of get what inline block means. Let me like make whip up three examples of that so I can come back to this next time. I've been actually a little bit out of the game with HTML and CSS because I've been so focused on like building businesses and stuff that like like I'm just recently kind of coming around to things like flexbox and and it's like oh my god it's so much easier now <laughs> like <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> i remember like i used to i used to work at a company where i was working on the websites for like at&t and pepsi and these like big brand names you have to get these websites to work in ie6 and it was like table based layouts and like spacer gifs and all all these like old just kid kids listening to this have no idea what i'm talking about but like 
it's so much easier now, you know, and I feel like new developers need to be educated about like, look, it, it wasn't always this way. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't think you're going to get anyone to appreciate that feeling. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> you know, it's like you kids these days, you should, you should feel grateful. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Old man. Right. Unless you try to design a, a an HTML email, then you can get to right. experience a slice of the nineties. Yep. You know, yeah. I'm sure you know that all, all too well, Derek. Oh yeah. <laughs> One thing about, uh, you know, learning to code uh, and working with a coach, though, and, and friends and getting getting advice, like real world advice is um, I don't think the courses and the books these days do a good job of teaching, especially if you're a founder, you're trying to learn to code to build, build your own products. They don't really do a good job of like getting straight to the point, giving you what you need to know and telling you, look, you don't really even need to worry about that part for now. The courses want to teach you everything. If you're trying to build an MVP, you need somebody to tell you, like, this is probably your fastest path from A to B and, and give you that roadmap. That's a long roadmap, though. Yeah, it's a long roadmap. But I, I mean, like, along the way, like, you, you'll need to learn all this stuff eventually. But for me, it's about speed. I'm trying to learn just enough to, to get to the next step. And that doesn't necessarily mean cutting corners because it's, it's learning as I go, right? Like, like I, I was learning like testing in, in Rails, you know, um, how to get up and running with, with writing tests for, for all of all of your features and everything. And, and it's like, are, like, just tell me, like, what, what is the go-to gem to you? Like, should I use like Capybara? Should I use like, what, what am I using? Like, and, and what's like the go-to method? And just tell me like a good way to do it. I don't need to learn the five different methods that different developers use at different times. Like, just somebody help me go go faster, you know, and like things like that. I imagine myself creating a product like this because I've built a number of SaaSes and Rails now, but it's like the the list of things I feel like you do need to know is pretty long. Like I, I have trouble thinking of how would I make a small course on building a SaaS and Rails that is still useful. And maybe it's possible, but it sounds it sounds tricky. It'd be hard to pare down. It is tricky. I've seen a bunch of courses. Like I, I took a couple on, on Udemy and they're, they're kind of like project-based teaching, um, which is good, but they still they still just cover a lot of ground and and I'm trying to move a lot faster. Um, but playing the video at, at 2x speed really helps too. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, that's essential. Yeah. I, I, um, I'd be curious if to hear if as you encounter these things, like what, what the parts are that you wish they didn't teach you? Like where are they wasting the time? And maybe you can't answer that now, but just that'd be interesting to think about. Like I wonder if that will come back and bite you or I wonder if it truly is superfluous. Yeah, it's hard to know off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me, but I feel like when I when I get a lot of these Udemy courses, I do skip around a lot. I, I look at the table of contents and I, and I can start to, especially having having learned a bunch already. Like I know, like all right, I've I've already I get that concept. I I just need to get to the part where I can build a user model in this way. Like what you know, and, and get what I need to do, like a means to an end. And the end being, I know I need to build this feature by the end of the week. What's going to get me there the fastest, you know? You want a cookbook or something. Yeah. But it's, it's really just projects. Just, you know, just try to... The other thing that I'm, I'm finding right now is I'm transitioning from like practice projects to a real product. With the practice projects, I still... It doesn't matter what I put into the code. So, because it's just a practice thing. I was kind of learning and, and taking it slow and, and putting a bunch of garbage code in, into the project just because I know I'm going to throw it away anyway. 
with the real product now, I'm I'm actually going slower to really try to understand what's the best strategy for each of these pieces, and is this really going to bite me later? You know, and these are kinds of things like that. I, I like I just had a coaching session yesterday. Um, I haven't even started coding the new thing yet. I'm I've, I'm just planning out the models and the relationships and and walking through the designs and and having my coach kind of talk through or help help me think through some of the the relationships and stuff. You know, before I even dive into the code. When I make an app, I don't ever do that. Like I never sit down first and make the schema, but you're the second person that is on the newer side uh, to building Rails apps that I've seen like wants to get like the full schema sort of laid out and thought about. Um, And I don't think that's wrong, but I also think like what I'm hearing you say, there's a little bit of this assumption that like if I do it wrong to start, it'll be really hard to change or I'll have like really screwed myself in a certain way. But that's kind of one of the best things about software is that it is malleable forever-ish you're going to screw up your schema and your code and you're going to do like bad approaches, like despite all your best effort, because often you won't even fully understand the problem or like you'll actually try it in the browser. You'll go, Oh, this actually, I don't like the way this works after all kind of thing. So I, I, I wouldn't put, like sweat that too, too much like that sort of design upfront mentality. Yeah, I definitely hear that. And I'm guilty of that all the time. I'm just trying to perfect something that I know is not going to be perfect out of the gate. And, and I'm just going to have to, go into it knowing that I'm going to write a bunch of stuff and then delete it and write it again. But at the same time, it's like, it's speed. I'm trying to build an MVP. I have a list who's waiting for a product <laughs> and, and they seem pretty excited about it in, in, in these Facebook groups and whatnot. And whatever I can do to short, to, to avoid spending a month going down the wrong direction could, could sure. help. <laughs> yep. You know? I think getting some sanity checks from a coach is a great idea. Um, but I think it's also, it might just be a little bit like the, like the writing we talked about, or sometimes you just have to write that crappy first draft and then be like, nah, that's not it. And throw it away a little bit. There, there may be a little bit of this where it's like, despite your best efforts, focusing on, on trying to make it as good as possible, the first try will not end up making you much faster. Well, you know, this, this other idea, and I think this applies to coding as well as design, marketing, anything. I love this idea of plan first and then execute. And, and that's not to say always stick to the plan, like the plan will always change, but I really like the idea of get the plan figured out all the, all the key decisions basically made so that those are out of the way. And then you can spend the next while just going down the list, execute. And as, as you execute, you're going to change, but at least you don't have to stop after every step and be like, well, how should I do this? Or how, how should this be done? And then you get into a whole rut of like all these strategic decisions. If, at least if the, if there's like a default first plan that was already in place, all right, let's just go with that and just keep moving forward. You know, I've been more and more working in that pattern for the last couple of years. And I think it really helps. Like I, I write a lot in, in a, I have like a business journal where I'm constantly just kind of game planning out like, all right, if, if I'm going to launch this, what, what does a rough plan look, look like? And what are some key strategic decisions that I can just get down on paper first so that if and when I do this, I kind of have a roadmap to just go. I did a similar kind of planning up front with level where I did do a little bit of data model planning because I like to think in terms of like, what are the objects and how are they related to each other? But similarly, like knew that things would change. And sure enough, they did. Like I went back and looked at that early planning doc and like, Things look quite a bit different, but at the time it was what I needed. It was like making a painting and I start, I'm not a painter, but 
assuming I was, <laughs> and I start like sketching like with a pencil where like the outline of where things are going to go. And then by the time you get to actually putting, you know, paint on paper, then things start to change and you kind of you kind of work with it from there. But doing planning up front and then not holding on to it too tightly is kind of the key. So we're coming up on an hour and I want to give you, Brian, a chance to just quickly give us the elevator pitch for process kit before we wrap up. Sure. Uh, I don't have this uh, well rehearsed yet, but <laughs> so basically process kit is is for all of your repeatable projects that, that you do. And most most of the people who are interested in it early on are people running client services businesses, but I have talked to a lot of SaaS people, and especially if you have a team and if you're hiring and you're growing that team, your team needs processes and systems and process kit is, is basically being designed to be that, that operating system for your team. And just to give you a glimpse into the, into the pain point, I mean, I run audience ops and we're highly productized and, and process oriented. But we have all of our processes, all of our SOPs in Google Docs, and then we do a lot of our production work in Trello. And those two things are separate. So how we do things gets kind of siloed from our checklist of active projects. And the idea with, with Process Kit is that we're going to merge those two things together. So at your fingertips, as you're working on projects, as you're sending things through your production line or through your pipeline of work, whether it's client projects or or leads, or anything repeatable that you're doing, proposals, you know, um, hiring people, growing your team, whatever it is, blog posts, you know, marketing stuff that happens repeatedly, all that stuff follows a consistent process. Think of it like SOPs, but also like a workflow, like an automation workflow that can have branches and decisions and, and automation steps. Um, and just trying to make all this, all this repeatable work even more predictable so that you can program your your team, program your business to run in a way that's very predictable. And again, it gets people out of that rut of, oh, wait, something's different. What do I do in this situation? They go ping a manager, they, they escalate a question, and then all progress is stopped. Process Kit is hopefully there to say, oh, we've documented that and we've accounted for this scenario. This is This is what happens, you know? That was not an elevator pitch, but that's <laughs> that's a long elevator yeah. escalator yeah. or something. Um, I'm psyched to see this because, like, when I talk about you to other people, I describe you more or less as Mister Process. Like, I feel like no one has thought about this quite as much as you, or like had as much hands-on experience with this kind of like ruthless uh, processification of things. So, I think I think you have probably a lot to contribute here. Yeah, I, th I think there are a lot of businesses. I know there are a lot of businesses who who really rely on documented processes and systems, and I and there are a lot of people who don't. And I I do run into people who they they don't necessarily buy into the idea of of processes for for your team, like documenting processes on a regular basis. I guess that's that's fine. I'm not really trying to sell people on that idea if it doesn't make sense for your business. But there are a lot of businesses who are trying to make things more predictable and more scalable. And the only way really to do that is to do things in a very predictable, repeatable way. And once you get past a, a team of like four or five people, you need a you need a system to be able to train those people and, and keep them up to date on what's how things are done here, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's cool. If people are interested in that, where can they join your Facebook group? processkit.com so get on That's there a good the, domain 
Yeah. Um, I got that earlier in the year. I've been thinking about this. So basically, it's right now, it's just a landing page, kind of a short manifesto. I'm following your your, your guys' lead on, on that one. <laughs> um, and, and and that was one of those things where I wrote like six drafts, bef- you know, completely different drafts before I posted the one that's up there. And then um, the way that I set it up is there's an email opt-in that gets on the early access list. Then it goes to a questionnaire. It's like eight questions, mostly free form, goes right to my inbox. I read every single one off of that form. You get a button to to join the Facebook group or the Slack group. Then you're in. Cool. Nice. Awesome. Anything else we should cover, Mr. Derek? No, I think I'm good on my end. Okay, cool. Uh, show notes? Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. And I have some new show artwork that I just rolled out. And yeah, there's some more changes, some more like kind of freshening things up a little bit uh, now that we're over a year in so watch out for those changes coming nice awesome well thanks for being on brian it's good talking with you yeah thanks for having me i've been uh, really in, uh, a fan of the show uh love what both of you guys are doing excited to hear you know more updates about level and, and tuple awesome. awesome thanks dude thanks have a good one